0: Acts two forty two, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. We appreciate Micah reading our scripture today. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. And this is the last Sunday before our gospel meeting, and we want to encourage you to make plans to be present for our gospel meeting. We want to do everything that we can to fill this building with precious souls. I've got some young men that are going to be handing out brochures And each person, I want each person to get one copy of a brochure. And if you need a pen, they've got some pens, and I'll have more to say about that in just a moment. But if you would, take a copy of the brochure, and then if you need something to write with, they've got some pens, and they'll be happy to accommodate you in that respect. And so we're going to be getting those to you in just a moment or two. We are going to be having a fellowship meal next Sunday following our morning service and then we will have a 1 p.m. worship service and we'll be through for the day and then we'll be back Monday evening for another service at 7 p.m. Monday night through Wednesday night. I hope that you will be making plans to come and be a part of our meeting and to encourage others to come and to be a part of this meeting with us. We're gonna be looking tonight at Acts chapter two, the passage that Micah read. Specifically, we're gonna be noting verses 42 through 47 I want us to talk tonight, I want us to think for just a moment or two about the theme, Staying on Track. It's important for us, spiritually speaking, to stay on track. We want to stay on track individually and congregationally. Let me just pause here, if anyone doesn't have a copy, if you'll raise your hand, we'll make sure you get one. All right, I appreciate these guys helping out And I appreciate your patience uh, for allowing us to do this because I think that it's important for us as we gear up for our gospel meeting. And as I said a moment ago, we'll use this in just a moment or two. It is important for us to stay on track. Our goal as God's people is heaven. And sometimes we are distracted from that goal. And so what we have to do is step back, reassess, and maybe even realign ourselves because the goal is to stay on track so that one day we can hear Almighty God say, well done, good, and faithful servant. I want you to consider with me three characteristics that I believe will help us stay on track individually and congregationally. First of all, I want us to look at verse 42 And consider with me, if you would, the importance of looking upward. And as we think about looking upward, what we are focusing on is the need to exalt Almighty God in everything that we do. The Bible tells us that we are to live in such a way so that we bring God glory. Our lives are to to live or to be lived in such a way so that God is glorified in everything that we do. Now God is glorified in the church according to Ephesians 5, or rather Ephesians 3, verse 21. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. As we think about looking upward, there are two things that I would share with you found in verse 42. Number one, We must be steadfast in the word. Listen to what Luke tells us about the early church. We know that the early church began on Pentecost Day in approximately A.D. 32 or 33. Jesus had purchased the church with his own blood. He has now ascended to heaven. Some 3,000 souls have obeyed the gospel. And here's what Luke says about those early Christians. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is, in the apostles' teaching. They were rooted in the word of God. As individual Christians and as a congregation, collectively speaking, in order for us to be what God would have us to be, we have to remain rooted and grounded in the truth of Almighty God. If we were to lose sight of the importance of staying close to the word of God, then really and truly we lose our right to exist. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter eight that the seed of the kingdom is the word of God. And Jesus would have us take this word, internalize it in our lives, and then live it out every day. There are certain passages of scripture that emphasize the importance of us staying true to the word of God. For example, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, we are to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 34, would say, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. I would encourage us to spend time reading, studying, and meditating on the truth of God. We do that individually in our personal lives, but we must also do that collectively as a body of believers. We have various classes. Those classes are intended to edify, to build us up, to strengthen us, to increase our knowledge in the word of God. And then I think about the importance of what Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 13 when he said, Hold fast the form of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And the idea is that we adhere to the teaching that is revealed unto us in the word of God. Now Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4, it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we are constantly, daily if you please, feeding on the truth of Almighty God. We're like the psalmist of old who meditated in the law of the Lord and he did that both day and night. The psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 97 would say, Oh, how I love your law, it's my meditation all the day. And so here's somebody who is constantly feeding on the truth of God. If we do that, then we can rest assured that we're gonna stay on track. There's a second thing. Not only are we to be steadfast in the word, but we are to be steadfast in our worship. And there are a couple of great things, great truths, I believe, about worship that we would do well to consider. First of all, let me submit unto you that worship connects us vertically to God. Now if you look at the ancient or early church in verse 42, listen again to what Luke said. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. The breaking of bread, I believe, is synony- synonymous with the lord's supper here were people that were partaking of the lord's supper of that memorial feast every first day of the week furthermore they were also engaged in in prayer and these are two very important aspects of corporate worship but worship literally connects us vertically to almighty god when we come together to worship almighty god we are bowing in the presence of god we spent several weeks talking about worship and some of the great things that relate to worship. We are privileged to worship God in a land that is free. We do not have to fear outside sources bringing bodily harm on us because we choose to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're not persecuted for that. We ought to be grateful for that. But when we come together to worship God, we are bowing in his presence. The word worship means acts of reverence paid to deity. The psalmist said, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker in Psalm 95 at verse 6. Every time we come together to worship God, there are three things that we ought to be impressed with. Number one, we ought to think about the greatness of God. It's difficult for us to fathom an eternal being. God is from everlasting to everlasting. That's what Moses said in Psalm 90. He said, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I'm not sure that I can fully fathom the character and the nature of Almighty God. But I know this, God is a being who surpasses all greatness. When we think about the greatness of God, it is reflected in his creation. The fact that God spoke this world into existence, that he made us in his own image and likeness, That God is a being that has the ability to uphold all things by the word of his power, according to Hebrews 1, 3. God is our creator. He is a great being. But there's a second thing. We ought to be impressed with the goodness of God. Did you know that God is described as good? In Psalm 100, the psalmist said, speaking of the Lord, for he is good. The goodness of God is unsurpassed. I've known some good people, I know good people today. And I think about individuals that demonstrate their goodness in a variety of ways. But the Bible tells us that God is the dispenser of every good and perfect gift. Everything that we have to enjoy here on planet Earth is a result of the goodness of Almighty God. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the father of lights with whom is no variation, neither shadow of turning. The psalmist in Psalm 68, 19 said, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. Paul would write in Colossians 4, verse 2, continues steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. The song that we sing from time to time, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. When we come together to worship Almighty God, we're reminded of His greatness and His goodness. But there is a third thing. We ought to be reminded of His graciousness. God is a being of grace. Were it not for the grace of Almighty God, you and I would be lost. The whole redemptive plan revolves around the sobering fact that men and women have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God in His rich grace Mercy and love interposed or intervened on our behalf. God set in plan a redemptive plan that would save us. When you and I come together on the first day of the week as we partake of the Lord's Supper, I think about these early Christians, men and women that lived nearly 2,000 years ago, when they partook of the Lord's Supper, some of those people had known Jesus. Some of those people may have even been present when the Lord was crucified. The apostles, they were present when Jesus instituted this memorial feast. The bread reminding us of the body given in our stead. The fruit of the vine reminding us of the blood shed so that we might have remission of sins. And so every time we come together on the first day of the week, we are reminded of the sobering fact that God is a being of grace. The greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the graciousness of God. There is a second thing I believe that worship does for us. It connects us horizontally to one another. In other words, to the people of God. Peter would say in 2 Peter 1, verse 1, that we are people of like precious faith. There, There are tremendous blessings associated with being children of God. One of the songs we sang tonight, we are part of the family, to know that we are a part of the family of Almighty God. We belong to the household of God. God is our Heavenly Father. We are His children. And just like earthly fathers And earthly mothers care for their children. God is a being who cares for his children. And God has demonstrated his care for us in many ways. Now in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But he said exhorting one another. And one of the byproducts of coming together on the first day of the week is we connect with one another. We encourage, we build up, we edify one another. Isn't it great to come together with people who belong to the body of Christ and to realize that we're all in this thing together, that we're all running the Christian race, and yes, sometimes we have joys, sometimes we have frustrations, sometimes we have highs, sometimes we have lows, sometimes we have good times and bad times, but we're here for one another. And by our our presence, we say to one another, we care. And I think in Acts chapter 2, it's borne out not only did these people care for one another, but they shared with one another. So worship connects us vertically to God. It connects us horizontally to the people of God. Now there's a second thing I think we need to see, and that is we are to look upward, and we are to look outward. We talk about exalting the matchless name of Almighty God. But as we think about looking outward, now we're talking about something different. We're talking specifically here about evangelism. I want you to look, drop down if you would, and we'll back up and look at a couple of other verses in a moment or two. But note verse 47. In verse 47, Luke said that the early church praised God They had favor with all the people. And then listen to what he says. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. By way of implication. I think what Luke is saying here is that as members of the body of Christ were going out into the highways and byways, preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ, people were obeying that message and the Lord was adding them to the kingdom. I challenge you, read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a great book. Now we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and we have four narratives of the life of Jesus. And each and every inspired writer gives us a glimpse, a very specific glimpse of Jesus, the son of God. The book of Acts focuses in on the church that Jesus purchased with his blood. The birth of that church. And then the bounty of that church in the sense that men and women were obeying the gospel by, well, by the tons. Over and over again, Luke tells us that numbers, great numbers of people were obeying the gospel. And I think the reason these people took to heart what Jesus said as it related to the Great Commission. So, having said that, I want to ask a series of questions. First of all, I want to ask this question. Why should we evangelize? Now, you go back and you look at Acts 2.47, you look at other passages of Scripture, and you see the church was growing. Why was the church growing? Well, because they were sharing The greatest message known to mankind, that is the gospel, the good news. Let me give you two reasons why we ought to evangelize. Number one, we ought to evangelize because it has been requested of us by the Lord. Now that ought to be enough right there. The very fact that Jesus alone wants us to be evangelistic. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. God the Father said in Matthew 17, verse 5, we are to hear Jesus. So whatever he says, we need to listen attentively. So, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Jesus wants us to be evangelistic. When you look at the life of Jesus, what what did he spend his time doing? Well, some would say he was constantly performing miracles. That's true, he was. One of the things about Jesus, he was very compassionate. He had a heart for people. Wherever people were, that's where you found Jesus. And Jesus often reached out to the outcast to the downtrodden, to those who, who had difficulties in this life. And he healed a lot of people. He did a lot of good things. But Jesus also taught a lot of great things. And when you look at the early church and you look at the apostles, they went out preaching and teaching Jesus because they were convinced. They were convicted. He was the son of God. He wanted them to evangelize and they took that to heart. Well, we've got to do the same thing. We have to understand that the Lord wants us to evangelize. He has all authority. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what we're to do. But there is a second thing. There's a second reason why I believe we should evangelize, and that is because of our vast riches in the Lord. If you are a Christian, whether you realize it or not, you are rich beyond words. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 that every spiritual blessing known to man, it's in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, everything you need, you have. There are a lot of benefits, there are a lot of blessings, there are a lot of byproducts associated with being a child of God. One of those byproducts, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. To know that God pardons us from every sin. A second great blessing we have the privilege of prayer. To know that we have the throne of God at our disposal day, night, or Sunday if you please. Whatever the day may be, we have the opportunity to bow in the presence of Almighty God. To look to Him, to ask for His help, His guidance, His comfort. Peter would say, casting all your care on Him for He cares for you. God cares about us and so God wants us to connect with him, not just through his word, but also through prayer. There's an interesting account found in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter five, of Jesus casting out demons in a man. This man identified himself as legion. He said, because we are many. I I take it to believe that this man had numerous unclean spirits or demons within him. Well, Jesus, cast those unclean spirits or demons out of him, showing his superiority over the demonic world. But if you read Mark chapter 5, after this great event, the people wanted Jesus to get out of their region. And so as Jesus was leaving, Mark tells us that this man that had been healed came to Jesus and he begged him. He wanted to be with him. He wanted to stay with him. And here's what Jesus said. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Now let me just ask this question. When you think about evangelism and you think about the question, why should I evangelize? Well, number one, you ought to evangelize because the Lord has requested that. But secondly, I want you to think about what the Lord has done for you in this life. Has anyone ever done for you what the Lord has done? None of us can say that anyone on planet earth has ever done more for us than the Lord. Maybe when we step back and realize all the great blessings that we enjoy in Christ, and we think about, we, we think about how rich we are in Christ, And the beauty of our wealth is it can be shared over and over and over again. Maybe one of the reasons we fail to reach out to others and talk to them about Christ is because we do not view ourselves as being rich in the Lord, but we ought to. Now, there's a second thing. Where should we evangelize? Where should we evangelize? Two places. Number one, we ought to evangelize In public. In Acts chapter 5, we read about the apostles who were beaten, commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse 42 that daily in the temple they cease not teaching Jesus as the Christ. In Acts chapter 17, we talked this morning about the Apostle Paul going to the city of Athens. It is true that he sought out a synagogue to go in to talk to the religious people. But he also went to the marketplace. He went there because that was the hub where all the people were. No doubt he could find people that were Jews in the marketplace. He could find Gentile proselytes in the marketplace. And then he could find pagan idolaters, people that knew nothing about The law, the prophets, much less Christ. The apostle Paul went to where the people were in his day. If we want to be evangelistic, what do we have to do? We've got to go where the people are. We've got to take the gospel to them. Now we talk about building and we talk about expanding our auditorium and all of that, and that's great. But nowhere in the Bible does it say build and they'll come. We have to build, yes, But Jesus said, Go. Go where? Go out into the public. Go out to those who are in the public and share the gospel. A second place, a second sphere where we evangelize is in private. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 5 verse 42 that the apostles not only cease not teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ in the temple, but from house to house. The church will grow if we do what? If we share the gospel publicly and privately. If we're not sharing the gospel publicly or privately, guess what? The church will never grow. Imagine having a barn full of seed. Spring comes, And rather than going out and tilling the ground and sowing the seed, you leave the seed in the barn. Well, when fall comes or when harvest time comes, do you think you'll have any crops? Absolutely not. If we're not sowing the seed of the kingdom publicly and privately, then we can't expect a bountiful harvest. What we've got to do is be willing to share the gospel. We've got to go where the people are. Now, here's a third thing. Who should we evangelize? I wanna ask you tonight, who should we evangelize? Well, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go into all the world. That means the world, or all nations, need the gospel. Now, just a moment ago, we handed out a sheet, and here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to take that sheet out right now, if you would. Now, if you're a visitor, I'm I'm not asking you to do this. If you want to, that's great. I'd be happy for you to do it. But if if you are a member here, if you would take that sheet out and turn it over on the back side, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you, and let me just preface this before I go any farther. A couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, Jared did the devotional, and he asked that we take five brochures and hand those brochures out to our neighbors he said if we do that then we will we will fill this building so I'm not trying to undermine what Jared asked to do because I think what Jared asked is is right on that's what we need to do but here's what I want you to do and and the reason i'm asking you to do it this way is because I'm hoping that by doing it this way you're going to be committed to it I want you to take that sheet of paper, that brochure, flip it over on the other side, and I want you to write one name down of somebody that you can encourage to come to our gospel meeting. Now, there are two qualifications here that I want to ask of you. There are two specific groups that I want want us to target. When you write somebody's name down on the back of that brochure, number one, Write somebody's name down who is not a Christian. Write somebody's name down who is not a Christian. That's criterion number one. Now, I understand that many of us have friends and relatives and family members and they're members of the church and we've already invited them to the services and maybe we're going to reach out and invite them. That's great. I'm I'm not discouraging that at all. But what we really want to do In this gospel, we want to invite people who are not Christians here. We want to fill this building with precious souls, people who have never heard New Testament Christianity. That's who we're after. If you want to call somebody across town that's a member of the church and ask them to come, hey, that's well and good. But for the purposes of what we're talking about tonight, I want you to write somebody down who is not a member of the church. Surely all of us know one person we can write down. We know one name we can write down. Here's what I want you to do. Write that name down and begin this week working on them to come to our gospel meeting. It may be that you wanna mail them a brochure. It might be that you wanna mail them and then follow it up with a phone call. It might be that you want to go by and personally visit with them. I really don't care how you get it done. Just get it done. That, that's the bottom line. And listen, I'm speaking to myself too. Identify one person who is not a member of the church. The second criterion, let's say they are a member of the church and you're going to write their name down. The only, I, I want you to write their name down if they're not a Christian. And the second criterion is if they're not a faithful Christian. If somebody that you know is not where they ought to be, spiritually speaking, they're not living for the Lord Jesus Christ day in and day out, that's somebody's name that you can put on that list. That's who we're targeting. We're we're targeting the lost. Gospel meetings ought to be about the lost. That's what we ought to be worried about, reaching the lost. Now, if we do that, Think about how many people we might potentially have here Sunday morning who are not members of the church. Brother Alan Harris is going to be speaking. Brother Harris has been preaching for a long, long time. He is an excellent preacher and teacher. He has a lot of ability. And I promise you, if we do our job, he'll do his job. We don't have to worry about that. He'll do his job. And so what we want to do is get people here. Now there is, there is another question that I have. We talk about who we should evangelize, and I want you to, to take that name, and it may be that you want to post that name on your refrigerator. It might be you want to put it on your nightstand, however you want to do it, but please, please, Identify one person and do everything in your power to get them here Sunday morning, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever the case may be, but get them here. You may have to tell them, look, I'll come by and pick you up, whatever it takes, do it. We're in the business of what? Serving, That's what Christianity is all about, serving. And so, that's what we wanna do. Now, here's a fourth question. When should we evangelize? When should we evangelize? There are two, I believe there are two primary reasons why we do not evangelize. Number one is because of preoccupation. We're too busy. Or we say we're too busy. And if that's the case, my encouragement is you need to build a bigger fire. If you've got too many irons in the fire, build a bigger one. If you can do things in the world, then you can do things for the Lord. The Lord ought to be number one. The Lord ought to be what life is all about. So, preoccupation. A second reason why we do not evangelize, procrastination. We put it off. We say we're going to evangelize. We say we're going to talk to so-and-so, that we're going to reach out to somebody and talk to them and encourage them to become members of the body of Christ, but we never do it. Let me ask this question, when do you plan on getting around to evangelizing? If we're not evangelizing, we're not not doing what the Lord has asked of us. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter six at verse two, today is the day of salvation. There may be people that you're thinking about talking to about the Lord, they may be in eternity before you ever open your mouth. That's why we've got to do it today. Look at the early church. Did they sit back and say, you know what, next week, next month, next year we're going to get a rent? No, they were out every day preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at the great results they had. The church was growing and abounding day by day. Listen, if we do what they did in the first century, then we will be what they were. And that is a booming body of believers. If we do not do what they did, then we have no one to fault but ourselves. So today, get busy. All of us, get busy. We need to be evangelized. Let me share this one other thing. When we talk about evangelism, if you go back to Acts chapter 4, we find Peter and John, they were literally caught on the carpet by the religious leaders of their day. And they were caught on the carpet and the Bible tells us that they were commanded not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. But Acts chapter 4 verse 13 tells us that those religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they took knowledge that these men had been with Jesus. Now, they were commanded not to preach or teach in the name of Christ, and here is what Luke tells us, they said to those men, we cannot but speak the things we've seen and heard. Listen, when we spend enough time with Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know what? Nobody will be able to stop us from talking about New Testament Christianity. If we're not talking to people about the Lord, if we're not evangelizing, it may be the case. We're not spending enough time with the Lord. We don't know the Lord, and thus we can't talk to him. We can't talk about him to other people. We've got to spend time with the Lord. When we spend time with the Lord, what happens? We mirror the Lord by the way we live every day. So we need to evangelize today. Today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year. Last week I mentioned to you about a brother in Christ who is very interested in evangelism. And I love how he approaches evangelism. He said, I'm not worried about what happens next week, next month, next year. He said, I wanna know about today. That ought to be our our incentive. We ought to wake up every day thinking about who can we reach for the Lord. That ought to be our mindset, our mentality. Now, i got good news and bad news, depending on how you look at it. You know it cuts both ways. The bad news, and this is from my perspective, the bad news is it's almost 7 o'clock. And I've still got another point to cover. The good news is I'm not going to go into this point because it needs a lot of development. In other words, I can't just hit it in a couple of minutes and do it justice. And so what I'm going to do is put this off a couple of weeks and then come back and and hit it because there are a lot of things that we need to talk about as as we think about looking inward. And we'll address that. We'll address that next week. You know, I said it's good news, bad news. It's hard to believe it's almost seven o'clock, but time gets away. But I appreciate your patience and your attentiveness tonight. And look, I don't know how long we're gonna be here on earth. For that matter, Solomon said, who knows what a day's gonna bring forth. We don't even know. We don't even know if we'll be living in this region a year from now. So the bottom line is we've got to do as much good as we can where we are every day. And if we do that, everything else will take care of itself. You know, if if we do our part, sometimes we worry about growing. and, And listen, if we grow spiritually, I promise you, we will grow numerically. And sometimes we worry about growing and there are bumps in the road and you hit highs and lows and good times and bad times and, you know, it's, it's up and down sometimes. But what you've got to understand is, look, we're in this thing for the long haul. You've got to take the long haul approach to Christianity. And you've got to realize maybe we're not where we want to be, but we can get there if we work together, if we stay together, and if we pray together and if we are supportive of the word, if we're supportive of the elders, supportive of our teachers, listen, we can, get, we can do great things, but we've got to stay together. And so we'll talk more about that. I usually don't like to cut a lesson off, but I've got to do it tonight. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And the promise is you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, verse 38. When you obey the gospel, the Bible says the Lord will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. If you live faithfully, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. If you're unfaithful, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? 1 John 1, 9. Come as we stand and sing.